Excuse me, class. 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 Shut up! Welcome, fellow educators, parents, students, and anyone else curious about the chaos and charm of the education world. You're tuning in to EduRant, and I'm David, your fed-up neighborhood teacher, who's ready to unleash a whirlwind of thoughts, anecdotes, and an occasional wild tangent or two. Maybe three if my self-diagnosed adult ADD has anything to say about it. In this space, we're diving headfirst into the realm of education, dissecting its quirks, triumphs, and downright absurdities. I've got stories from the front lines, opinions that might ruffle a few textbook pages, and a burning desire to dissect the very fabric of education. So buckle up, because Edurant is not just a podcast, it's a journey through the minds of educators, a space to celebrate the victories, question the norms, and of course indulge in a good old-fashioned rant. You will come away with insights into problems in our education system. On to my soapbox. For this pilot episode of Edurant, I'd like to tackle the unspoken myth that haunts most new teachers' dreams. It's it's a myth that I found very prevalent uh, throughout my early career, and it is the pursuit of perfect teaching. From Pinterest perfect classrooms to the elusive goal of a flawless performance review, let's delve into the realities, the challenges, and the downright absurd expectations that come with this quest for perfection. Let's break down the walls of the so-called perfect teacher stereotype and explore the authenticity that lies beneath the surface. So first of all, perfection isn't real. Most people agree that perfection is kind of subjective. What you find perfect, another doesn't. And quite honestly, what you find perfect can change from one moment to the next, one day to the next, one year to the next, one class to the next. You can't actually accomplish perfect teaching. It is a perpetual quest. It simply isn't sustainable to always reach for the impossible. If you do, you will always be let down. Striving for perfection unnecessarily adds to our workloads as teachers. We have enough to do with grading, planning, parent communication, and every other random task that we are given to spend absurd amounts of time trying to be perfect on an activity or one-up something that you saw online. Trying to do this will lead to obscene amounts of time spent planning your lessons. Lessons that in all reality will need to be completely revamped the following year due to some district initiative that is promised to revolutionize student learning. Unfortunately, so many of us strive for this and so many people have bought into this unsustainable quest that for many educators, it has become almost expected. These unrealistic expectations lead to higher levels of stress and increased rates of burnout. Your time is finite. The internet has flooded teachers with nearly infinite inspiration. You don't have to do it all. It can be hard to accept that, but it's true. I was reading an article on the NEA.org website called Teachers work more hours per week than any other working adults. And this is uh, back in August 18th of, of 2023, which stated that teachers work an estimated 53 hours a week. 25% of their work is on 
compensated. Let's say that again, everyone. 25% of the work that teachers do, they don't get paid to do. No time and a half, no double time, no additional billable hours, nothing, nada. Well, you know, on occasion, I don't mind giving up a little bit of my, my downtime in the evening to, to get caught up on a little grading or to, or to do a little bit of planning. You know, that, that Pinterest lesson with the cute hand-folded origami figures to teach story structure looks amazing. It would definitely work for your kinesthetic learners and would allow for a cross-curricular art connection. But fuck that. That former educator, who is now a trophy spouse, can spend three to four hours folding paper for a 45-minute reading lesson to post on Pinterest. Hell, she'll still probably have time to go do hot yoga and shop for lampshades. I don't have that kind of time. I do have a story plot graphic organizer and a read-aloud book that the class is very familiar with. Best part is, is that it is a 10-minute prep time. I have a note in the margins here. Uh, insert obligatory apology. Ah, oh, yeah. So I'd like to apologize to all the trophy spouse former educators who create origami reading comprehension activities to post on Pinterest. I didn't intend to stereotype you. Seriously, though, don't get me wrong. I would love to use handmade origami figures to teach story structure or another similar activity with intense preparation time and requirements and materials. But I also teach every subject every day. I have to prep a ridiculous amount of lesson plans, and no matter how hard I try, I can't seem to inject more time in my day. So I use these top shelf activities, but I use them sparingly. Learning is multifaceted. Sometimes it is fun. Sometimes it is monotonous. Sometimes it's a big flashy Pinterest project. And sometimes it's a quick print of a graphic organizer. Learning is what the teacher makes of it, what we draw out of our students. We don't have to dress up like a circus performer and walk the tightrope while twirling flaming batons to teach addition. Entertainment doesn't always equate with better learning. It has its time and place, but it isn't every time and every place. Maybe one day, when each teacher has an administrative assistant, we can focus primarily on flashy learning, but... I'm lucky enough to have whiteboard markers most days, so we aren't quite there yet. So don't be afraid to save those big, fancy, fun activities for your unit openers, your anticipatory set. You already have enough on your plate with planning lessons, grading assignments, data collection and evaluation, and seemingly endless other administrative tasks. I'm looking at you, my elementary school colleagues. That same article from earlier stated that managing student behavior, supporting student academic learning, and administrative work were the top sources of job-related stress for teachers. It's strangely easy to pawn off your responsibilities in the name of delegation if you're an administrator. A quick email and it's someone else's responsibility beats being productive and doing something, right, administrators? Not only is perfectionism an unsustainable myth, it is the tool that a broken system uses to try to eke more and more and more work out of a teacher without compensation. Think of it as a carrot on a stick. They dangle it in front of us, and we follow that damned carrot everywhere. Didn't you see that Mr. Miller is doing trilingual lessons? 
As an administrative team, we've decided that it would be best if everyone did that. Now, we can't require it, but it would really help your students. It's also considered best practice. So, we follow the carrot. You know, research shows that if you hold social-emotional mini-lessons with struggling students during your prep time, they have a 75.4% chance to improve their behavior. It's also considered best practice. And again, we follow the carrot. It's the damnedest thing. That carrot is forever out of reach. There are always additional best practices and research-based things we should be doing for our kids. You know, if we truly cared. You know, all that all that grading stuff can just wait till you get home, can it? No. No, it can't. Your outside of work life matters. Balance is important in all things. Dedicate too much time to your students and you will be no good to them in the long run. Dedicate too much time to yourself and you will end up neglecting them. You have to find the balance. Lucky for us that the agreed upon amount is 35 to 40 hours a week. Coincidentally, that's also what we work in our contract hours typically. Use this as a guide. If you can somehow fit perfectionism in this time frame, then maybe it will work out for you. I know that I can't, and so to make sure that I am able to keep supporting students for the long haul, I don't worry about it. This year, our district has been giving a lot of lip service to the idea of taking care of yourself. They use all the mental health buzzwords. And after more than a decade of wringing every last shred of work out of us that they can, off of the charts micromanagement and driving teachers into early retirement just to cling to a shred of sanity, now they want us to take care of ourselves. Now, if they were really serious about this, they would give us reasonable class sizes, adequate prep time, and just a modicum of trust, instead of analyzing every action through the lens of data. Though, well, that's a topic for another day. I mean, in all fairness though, if they aren't serious about equipping teachers to do our jobs, giving us the time and resources to plan the lessons that they like to see us utilize, if they're not serious about student learning, then why should I sacrifice my outside time, the time that I use to recharge, that I use to spend with my family, to make their dreams, their demands fit into unrealistic time frames? You know, I, I thought maybe I was being a little bit unrealistic uh, with, with my thoughts there. And so I googled uh, teacher work-life balance. Now, don't tell my students uh, that I googled it, but I did. And Google literally laughed at me. I, I thought it was one of those random search Easter eggs, like when you Google, what does the fox say? But it didn't stop. It was weird. A ton of articles popped up. Better work-life balance tips for teachers. Ten ways teachers can achieve better work-life balance. And my favorite, a healthy alternative to work-life balance. That one goes on to describe a method I call leave it in a pile and ignore it. They call stacking. 
Sometimes I actually label that pile I-I-G-T-I-I-G-T-I, -I -I -I, because let's be honest, we all have those piles. If I get to it, I get to it. These piles you know, take up space on our desks or counters if you have too many students pushed into your classroom to have enough physical space for a desk. And eventually, we get to them. Or when setting up our room for the next year, these piles just get added to the oops shredding pile. The point is that we are in a profession that forces us to put all the work we have into prioritized acts and then sacrifice personal time, unpaid, mind you, to work through the stacks. The higher the stack, the more time we are expected to sacrifice. The more time away from our families, the more time I have to listen to my young children say, Daddy, why do you always have to work? All because society, politicians, school districts, building administrators, or any other number of people have decided that we can be pack mules for everyone else's responsibilities. Too busy at work to read with your children? Put it on the teachers. Too awkward to have that talk with your kids? Put it on the teachers. Kids misbehaving at home? Eh, have the teacher deal with it. Does your child's moral compass need adjusted? Have the teachers do it. There will inevitably be more and more of these circumstances as time moves forward. You know, if history is anything to judge by, it's not going to stop. According to an article I read on research.com, 44% of teachers report often or always feeling burnt out. Often or always. To be fair, I haven't evaluated the underlying study or data or, or poll that this figure is pulled from, but I've seen it in quite a few different articles, so I'm going to operate under the assumption that it is valid. I can say that in my experience, it is. And I'd go a step further and say I'm going to assume, based on my conversations, that it's true throughout my school and throughout my district. The problem is, you can only cope with being burnt out for so long. Resiliency only takes you so far in a society that refuses to value teachers and a field that refuses to support and empower them. We all got into this field for altruistic reasons. Eh, well, maybe not all. Some of you just wanted to coach sports and have the summers off, but shame on you. The rest of us truly want to help our students be the best citizens and people that they can be and have summers off. But 30% of people who enter the career don't stay in the profession for longer than five years. Imagine going to college, getting a degree and licensure with all the student debt that it entails, and then working for five years before saying, fuck it, I'll work for Chick-fil-A over this shit. Peace out, kids. Wish you the best. This environment is toxic. I'm out and then power walking out of the building, middle finger held high. A part of you is visualizing doing this right now. If you aren't, just go ahead and give it a few years. To avoid this, you need to set healthy boundaries. In order to stay in the field of education, you will need to strike a work-home-life balance. Of course, this will look different for each person, but you have to figure it out to avoid being another statistic. The only statistic that I hope to be is one of the 30 to 40% who choose to retire earlier than expected. I'm too damn stubborn to quit now. I'm too far into it. 
Hell if I'm going to let these failed educators turned administrators push me out while they try to prove just how essential they are and to justify their jobs. Could you hear the air quotes in my voice when I said essential? Could I grade these papers while watching my favorite episodes of Breaking Bad? Well, fine, let's be honest, I'm watching Bluey because, you know, kids. Uh, totally not watching it by myself while laughing hysterically. Absolutely not that. But could I grade those papers? Sure. But why? So little Johnny or Susie can see how many questions that they have to review with me? Or so little Chantel can see her perfect score? Will they care if they see it tomorrow? Or the next day? Or even next week? In most cases, probably not. But will your mental health decline if you consistently prioritize everyone else's needs over your own? Yep. Most of the time, the first question I am asked when I grade a paper, give it back to them, say, hey, take this home, show your parents, is immediately, can I recycle this? No matter how often I say, take it home and show your parents, students try to sneak it into the recycle bin or trash can. For the truly devious, they wait until they walk out the door to their lockers and not so discreetly throw it anywhere they can. The hallway looks like a true celebration of learning with assignment confetti floating in the air. Sure, I could have parents sign it and return it, and I have at times, but then I have to deal with managing yet another system that either rewards students who bring it back or hands out consequences for students who don't. And notice I didn't say punish because that is a bad word, bad, bad word. Kids should always have fun. Simple communication turns into yet another thing I have to manage, which again takes time. Then you have the parent emails complaining about those signatures and about how they are so busy with various extracurricular activities. I would love to have a lesson with parents on what extracurricular means. My point is, work during your contract hours. Work hard during your contract hours. Do your best to get everything done that you can during your contract hours. If there is too much on your plate, know that you aren't alone. If your administrator or district truly wanted you to get everything done that they pile on your shoulders, then they would provide and protect time for you to do it. They don't, so it's not your responsibility. Feel a little bit guilty about that? Then set up office hours. Set aside an hour a night or an evening a week that you work on school stuff outside of your contract hours. But then this is important. Then stick to it. All that work can wait. Your dreams, aspirations, hobbies, and family can't and shouldn't have to. If you walked out of your classroom like a boss tomorrow with your middle finger in the air, you would be replaced the next day with a sub and within weeks with a permanent hire. They would grade those papers, and after a short period of time, your students would move on and embrace their new teacher. You might be missed for a little bit, remembered for a bit longer, but the world keeps going. I have seen this happen. It's sad. It's rough. And then it's over.
Though the staff member didn't do the power walk with the middle finger, which was slightly disappointing. There is no teacher so valuable that they can't be replaced. This doesn't diminish your role or your dedication. It's just a cold stone fact. This should provide us all with a little perspective. Yes, give all that you can to your students without burning out, but don't harm yourself trying to be perfect. Don't harm yourself on that quest to perfection. Perfectionism is a virus that can infect your life and steal positive experiences and memories with family, friends, and it can deny you enjoyment if you let it. So don't let it. You are the captain of your classroom. This is probably an unpopular opinion, at least amongst administrators. You know your students. You know their needs. You know what's best for them. You know what instructional strategies work. The best teachers know what to ignore. I am sure that I'll get a few outraged messages at that. That is, if anyone listens to my ramblings. But it is virtually undeniable. The sheer mountain of work that teachers have isn't possible to accomplish, let alone accomplish within a perfectionist framework. We all ignore things. We just prioritize what to ignore or forget. That bullshit PD training that my administrator thought was earth-shattering based on his five years in the classroom? Yeah, that goes on the back burner. That new bulletin board that would really spruce up my classroom, but has a ton of creating, cutting, laminating, and putting it up? Nah. That new seating arrangement? Yeah, that can wait till next week because I absolutely need to get these 30 essays graded by Friday for report cards. There will always be others that have strong feelings about what you should do in your classroom, but each and every one of them is operating without a complete understanding of the many factors in your room. Your administrator is operating from the 15 minutes a week they might stop in your room. Your building coach is operating under the same constraints. Sometimes, these are, they're, they're also operating under a very limited experience of their own, having not been successful in staying in the classroom past the typical five-year burnout. Parents have strong opinions based on what their children come home and say, which we all know is 100% accurate and never has any essential critical information left out. Pinterest trophy spouses with time to master origami have a lens without time constraints. You know, Opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one. With social media, we just get to see everyone's opinion. Eh, hopefully not their asshole. In all fairness, some of them might have merit. But that is up to you to decide. You spend all day with your students. You know their strengths and weaknesses. You know what they need. You know who needs to struggle a bit to overcome something to develop grit. You know who needs scaffolding to develop confidence. You have charts, graphs, a practiced skill to navigate by the stars, and numerous other tools at your disposal that you are trained and equipped to use to steer your ship. Trust yourself. If someone gives you feedback, listen. Digest it. If it's good, needed, and feasible to implement, then, then try it if you want. If it's not, then ignore it. Ultimately, you are the expert in your room, not a coach, not an administrator, and not a parent. If they were, then they would still be in a classroom. They aren't, so they're not. Sure, they might write your performance evaluation, but so what? Are they going to fire you? 
there's a teacher shortage. Or is that just simply a piece of paper that will go in a file folder somewhere and never be looked at again, at least until they write your next one? Perfectionism is an illusion. Don't let the illusion fool you. All right, now that we've established that you're the captain of your room and not some administrator, you know, I, I realize I've been pretty hard on administrators this episode. Almost like I'm demanding perfection from them. But not from us. I don't demand perfection from administrators. I just ask them not to demand it from me. Some of you administrators, if you're listening, rightfully deserve this not-so-constructive feedback. And some of you not so much. I have worked for some amazing administrators. The amazing ones trusted me, encouraged me, valued me, did everything they could to equip me for success, and they knew that I was the expert in my room. They knew I was the captain of my ship. They dealt with discipline issues and worked to keep our workloads manageable. Unfortunately, our profession isn't made up of all amazing admins, and those are the ones who stuff off their work onto teachers, who micromanage classrooms, but neglect buildings as a whole. They are the ones who want to be friends with students at the expense of their staff. They are the ones who couldn't hack it in a classroom. You, those administrators, are the ones I am addressing. Those that have bought into this illusion of perfectionism, who evaluate teachers through that perfectionist lens, and who don't equip us or even acknowledge that we should be equipped to meet those impossible standards. So why do we do it? Why do we choose to suffer the abuse of a hostile work field in a society that increasingly devalues us? Why do we keep chasing that damned carrot? Why do we allow that illusion to suck us in? I had a student. Let's, uh, let's call her Leah. Leah was a quiet kid, a kid who could easily slip through the cracks in a general education room. She never caused any issues in class and absolutely always did what she was asked. And as we all know, unfortunately, the squeaky wheel often gets the grease. She came in every day with a smile on her face and just the absolutely best, most positive attitude a teacher could ask for. Classwork required effort, and her scores weren't always the best. Damn, did she try, though. She'd sit at my table with me every day during mass small groups so I could reteach the concepts in more depth and address any mistakes that I saw her making. She actively sought out help. Not in a kneading spoon-fed type of way that is becoming more and more common, but in a genuine, I want to learn the process, I just need a little clarification so I can do it on my own sort of way. During this time, we were able to offer additional tutoring to our students due to ESSER funds. It only took a fucking pandemic for us to have the funds to do this type of service. I immediately knew that she would benefit from this. Her work ethic was leagues beyond her peers. She showed up all four days a week that I offered it, like clockwork, and gave her all each and every time. She would get frustrated, and tears would well up, but with a little encouragement, she would persist, and she kept an open mind, and by the end of the year, we were able to exit her from an IEP. Now this, this wasn't all me. 
I can't take all the credit. She had amazing special education teachers and amazing teachers in the past years that were just as instrumental. It just happened that the year she was in my room, with that little bit of effort, it all clicked for her. We had a great school year. But, like every year it ended, I'd be lying if I said that this was why I dealt with all the bullshit. It was nice that she was able to close the gap, and yes, that is one of the reasons I still work as a teacher, but quite honestly, it isn't enough. The next year, I was out at recess duty. You know, got to make sure the, the four-square rules are being followed, and the pickup game of football is evenly matched, and they are counting to ten Mississippis. That the playground isn't a war zone, and that every other expectation is being followed after all. After putting out a brief fire in a knockout basketball shooting game, Leah called out my name and came running over, a look of pure joy in her eyes. I got an A on my math test. Remember that this was a student who worked her tail off to get a C- the previous year. She was so proud of herself. I knelt down beside her and said, I, I'm so proud of you. That is amazing. I knew you could do it. Do you know why you got that A? Without missing a beat, she said, because I studied and worked hard. Yep, kid, that's right. The rest of that year, she would come by my room, catch me in the hall, or flag me down at recess to tell me, I got another A in math. I got a B in math. And every damn time, I would get something in my eye like dust and pollen were just everywhere that year. That's why I put up with the bullshit. Kids like her. That's also why I don't get caught up in trying to be a perfect teacher. Every once in a while, moments like these come along and provide a little clarity. They reset our perspective. And, for me at least, transports a jaded old teacher back to his roots. It didn't require me to be perfect. Just invested. Alright, alright, I know that's the bell. Just remember, I dismiss you, not a bell. Let's, let's recap real quick. There's no such thing as a perfect teacher. There is just you, and you are more than capable of reaching the Leas and every other student without a trophy spouse's Pinterest shenanigans. And absolutely without perfection. We have enough pressure on us without piling more on ourselves. Let yourself be imperfect. It's okay to not find your identity in being the da Vinci of education. Students need to learn through the mundane as well as the exceptional. Students need to experience high levels of enjoyment, but they also need to learn how to deal with tedium. They need to learn collaboratively and independently, digitally and analogously, and creatively and literally among many other ways. There is a long list of skills that students need in life that we need to give them opportunities to practice, and not all of them are going to make us look amazing to administrators or colleagues or parents. But that doesn't matter. Our jobs as captains of our classrooms is to equip our crew to be well-rounded people who are better prepared to navigate the fun and not-so-fun aspects of life. We can't hide them from it. We equip them for it, and you can do that. So go, challenge the myth of perfection. Embrace the unpredictability of the classroom. It's not about flawless lessons or Pinterest-worthy activities. It's about genuine connection with your students. Use those mistakes as teachable moments. Forget perfectionism. Be balanced, present, and invested. 
Here's to a week with fewer meetings about meetings, an abundance of breakthrough moments in your classrooms, and the magical disappearance of administrative paperwork. Until the next policy change, this is Eduant, your refuge of educational sanity in the bureaucratic wilderness. Keep your grading swift and your coffee strong. Class dismissed. Excuse me, Mr. Teacher. Hey, kiddo. Did you forget something? What can I help you with? Thank you. You are so welcome.